Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fury Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And we want to welcome you back to this thing that we do. Uh, it's been kind of uh, an interesting week. We're rounding up on uh, mid-November as we record this. Uh, firmly in mid-November by the time you hear it. So uh, we want to welcome you to post-spoopy autumn season. It's now soup season fully. I, I embrace that wholly. I've been searching the recipes and trying to find just the most comforting and hearty soups that I can find. I'm a big fan. Jim, what's your favorite soup? You know, I've got a few because I grew up in a house where um, mom would just get a bug in her hat once in a while and she would uh, go to the kitchen and just dig out all the big pans from underneath the sink and she would just make huge amounts of soup. So she made a really good beef vegetable barley she made a chicken dumpling that was out of this world uh but the soup that i think is probably my favorite is one that on this weight loss journey i'm on i really shouldn't eat so i haven't made it in a while but i do like to make it it's a potato bacon and leek cream soup Mm. um and really just the name of the soup is most of the ingredients you just start with about five pounds (laughs) of potatoes cube them put i'll give you the recipe right now it takes 10 seconds cube five peel and cube five pounds of potatoes put them in a giant stock pot barely cover them with water boil them uh, and then just they start to get soft, uh, start to uh, fry about a pound of bacon, uh, chop the bacon, put it in the soup, and then uh, fry some uh, sliced leeks, uh, you know, in about one inch pieces in the bacon grease, drain those, put them in the soup, and then uh, when the uh, potatoes are soft and the leeks are soft and um, everything's kind of boiled down, pour about uh, two, three cups of milk in there, and then shred some dill into it, top it with cheese and croutons, and you can eat that shit for days on end. It's just the perfect winter root vegetable soup. Very stick to your ribs, unfortunately. It's a whole shitload of carbs because of all those potatoes and milk. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, you want to make sure that you're uh, trying to um, get some hibernation on if you're going to be <laughs> making that soup. It's definitely a winter soup. It, it'll knock you out, uh, but it's uh, it, it, sometimes you want that. Don't eat that at work. I'll pass out at the wheel. Okay, gotcha. Uh, my daughter has been on a chowder thing lately, so I'm thinking about pulling out the uh, clam chowder recipe, the New England clam chowder recipe again, and making that. And I also make a really chowder, mean... chowder, chowder, chowder. That's chowder, chowder. I'll kill you. Uh, Simpsons reference. Thank you. Um, I also make a really good chicken and chorizo poblano pepper soup, which. It's a bit involved, but it, 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 last time I made it, it was fantastic. A little bit spicy, a lot of uh, chicken and chorizo, and just it was very hearty, very good, creamy. I don't know about you, but I, I, I think I smell the soup episode coming up. We're going to have to run oh. down our favorites and uh, oh, yeah. get some recipes going. Hey, shit, we did one about burgers. Why don't we do one about soup? And, can, uh, you know, if Aaron you really want to double up. Yeah. Yeah? Aaron Hell yeah. That. Why don't we do, why don't we, uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks, why don't we... Uh, Nail one down and, and do uh, some soup and some pie. We've been threatening to do a pie episode for quite a while, and uh, I'm sure between the two of those, we could probably knock one out and uh, and, and get a lot of people nice and fat for the holidays. You Up know, to and including is, ourselves. It is pie season as well. I'm not going to complain about eating pie and soup and then taking a big fat snooze afterwards. So, uh, I mean, like we live I in said. temperate climates, both of us. That's what winter <laughs> is for. Absolutely. Eating your own weight and buttered fucking food yeah. and then napping out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we want to thank you guys for listening to another episode. Uh, if you're looking for us online, there are a few separate places you can find us. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom. 
You can also find us in our Gmail, which is fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. You can also find us at the backup email, which is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com, which is where you send your show ideas, your guest suggestions, especially if they're yourself. Uh, wink to you, Josh Bombach, who I just got a message from a little while ago. We're going to have to try and slide into an upcoming episode coming up very soon. Absolutely. And you can also find us at Instagram at fuelyourfandom and also on Twitter at fuel underscore your... And, of course, if you listened to last week's episode, you heard us ramble on uh, passionately and endlessly about the Fuel the Future charity drive we're doing to get comics into the hands of underprivileged kids. And um, you can also find us on PayPal, Venmo, and Cash App at Fuel Your Fandom, all three places. If you want to drop us a couple of bucks, we're going to try to uh, collect that cash and work with both your and my local comic book stores to try to put some comics into the hands of kids for the holidays. So we definitely appreciate your support on that. Absolutely. We do. Jim, how the hell are you, man? You know, I'm good. I, uh, you know, anybody who listened to the last episode or two had to listen to me bitch about how I had pneumonia. (laughs) And as the more time goes by, the more I, I think it might be a breakthrough COVID case just because I really feel like, uh, shit, Really, still, I'm kind of just like not a lot of energy. Um, you know, still got kind of some bubbly lungs going on. Still got some post nasal drip happening. But I mean, all things considered, any day on the right side of the dirt is a fucking gift. So I'm just kind of taking it in stride and riding it out. Um, but uh, yeah, good spirits. How about you? You know, I'm doing all right. Uh, we were talking about this pre-show, but uh, been kind of an expensive couple of days for me. Now, though, the kids don't listen to the podcast, so I'm. I'm pretty free and easy to talk about this, but we uh, had both decided really early on, I think probably back in like May or June, that we were going to focus on like one big gift for the kids each for Christmas this year. And what we had ultimately decided on was getting them uh, switch lights so they have their own switches. Nice. They can do their own thing while traveling and whatnot. And and uh, over, the, over time as I thought about it, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that switch lights didn't really make sense for them. Uh, because it does hobble a few games, and it just didn't... Uh, I, I figured they could uh, have an easier time if they were able to plug them into their TV, and for a variety of other reasons, I decided, you know, it's probably a really good time to try and get into getting them, like, the classic Switch, the original Switch, because you can get that for the same price as a Switch Lite on the uh, secondary market. So I took it upon myself to make that happen. And uh, so this last couple of days, I've ended up with three different switches in my possession. Uh, I bought uh, the, what was, what was it, the Animal Crossing switch for my daughter with the the white dock and the special pastel weird controllers and all that. And then just an original gray one for my kid, my, my son. And uh, yeah, so, and then I got ended up getting a Switch Lite for myself because I'm... Unlike my kids, I collect every Nintendo handheld that they've ever made. And so I needed one of these for my collection. And so I found a really good deal at my buddy Ryan's Toy Box Collectibles. And uh, he hooked me up, like, big time. And, yeah, so very expensive couple of days. But not bad, other than that. So doing pretty well. I mean, well. that is Christmas sorted, though. So, uh, you know, good for you. I haven't even thought about, you know, we're barely mm-hmm. on the other side of Halloween at this point. And, uh... I know it's this funny is if you're on social as, media as, at all. As far ahead as I am, it's shocking. Yeah, I mean anybody's on social media, which you know is basically any carbon-based life form in the universe, because it's the fucking law. Um, there seems to be the only war on Christmas that uh, that I, you know, conservatives say there's a war on Christmas, and like with most things, they're completely full of shit. The only war on Christmas that I see 
is that around this time of year, uh, most of my friends tend to split off into two uh, pretty equally sized but passionate camps. Uh, one of them is, you know, the second that the candles get blown out inside the jack-o'-lanterns and spoopy season is over, it automatically becomes Christmas. And uh, <laughs> then there's the other camp that says, you know what, fuck you, let's at least get Thanksgiving out of the way first. Uh, here's a picture of my Christmas tree. Yeah, it's a shed because that's where my tree still is because it's still fucking November. So I happen to kind of fall into the latter camp. Um, I you typically know, I, do Christmas too. is great. Christmas is great. It really is. You know, getting into the spirit of the holidays. Fine. Christmas, it's a wonderful holiday. And uh, it, it really is a, a wonderful time to bring family together and just feel the warmth of the, the Yuletide season. However, it, it needs to have its time. It needs to kind of hold the fuck off. I mean, if you're in the store and you're shopping for Halloween candy and they've already got sneaky Christmas decorations around the corner, that's, that, that's just... Is you. Ah, just stop. Just stop. And I get it. I mean, I've worked in advertising and marketing for most of my adult life. I understand that the reason why they call it Black Friday is because that's when most retailers actually first start to see their revenue, their profits, finally drag out of the red for the year and into the positive side of the ledger. I get that. It's crucial for business, um, especially in a year like right now after uh, we've just had a really shitty couple of years with people not going outside and businesses suffering and you know, they right. talk about all the supply chain issues that are going to be happening if you're ordering stuff from online, whatever. I get it. I understand that that Christmas as a general concept needs to kind of get a head start in order to, to really pad the coffers of a lot of folks who bring a lot of great things into our lives. I understand that, but can we just please get the turkey out of the way first? I mean, that's all I'm asking. From, yeah. like, Black Friday on, fine. It's holidays. It's Christmas season. I will acquiesce to that. But... You know, just let's let's finish off the Halloween candy first before we start digging out the garland. Can I ask at least that much? That's all I really want. My friend Patty already posted pictures of her tree up. It's 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 cute. It's very cute. It's got presents under it and everything. I'm like Jesus Christ, woman! You're incredible. I got a friend who I used to be in a band with years ago, and he has the right idea. He Christmas shops, but he goes on December 24th after work. Gross. And he just, you know, just absolutely powers through them all, grabs whatever he possibly fucking can. And all of his friends and family, they understand that's his tradition. That's what he does. So if they get kind of weird shit, kind of picked over, kind of crazy <laughs> things, that's fine. Uh, some years he winds up at Walgreens. And people get like, you know, Chia Pets and boxes of Whitman samplers, and that's what they get. But he Room doesn't go until the day before. Log. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Room Temperature Cheese Log is the name of my Wiggles tribute band. Uh but yeah, that's what he gets. He gets all yeah. that. So, <laughs> I, I, and I, that, I, I can hand, get behind I ad, that. I admire him for the for the uh, fortitude, the intestinal fortitude to do that. But at the same time, I cringe inwardly. This is probably as well prepared as I have been for Christmas in a very long time. It's good. We've got like a white elephant for the family that we got to get gifts for, but that's basically it. Everyone else is going to get either a gift card or, or a, a package of cookies or something like that. And we, we, I think we Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome room temperature cheese log. <laughs> Fruit salad, yummy, yummy. Oh, I, the, okay. The one thing that I will say, because I have a lot of unpopular Christmas opinions. I'm um, sure. <laughs> uh, this, this may be one of the most controversial. Um, 
the notion that there are six fruitcakes in the world and they just keep on getting recirculated and regifted, I can absolutely prove that's a lie because I take at least two or three of those motherfuckers out of circulation every year. <laughs> I am the guy who loves fruitcake. If you get a fruitcake and you don't want it... Oh, I am perfectly serious about this. If, if anybody listening gets a fruitcake they don't want, I will take it off your hands for you. I will pay for your shipping to get it to me. I <laughs> fucking love fruitcake. Something about booze-soaked nuts and candied fruit. I don't know what it is about that, but that does it for me. Fruitcake is hands down and far and away my favorite holiday food, and it's not even close. I love that shit, so bring it on. That's the name of my Wiggles tribute band is Booze-Soaked Nuts. Fruit salad. Yummy, yummy. <laughs> it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So, okay, you heard it here uh, first, folks. If you got any extra fruitcake, which I'm sure some of you will, uh, email us at uh, FYFTalentBooking uh, at gmail.com and send Jim your address and your Venmo. He'll pay for your shipping. Yep. Send him If all. I get enough of those things, I will, uh, I'll review them. I'll do a whole episode where I just eat fruitcake and talk about how wonderful they all are. Says the man on a low-carb diet. All right, buddy, I got you. Yeah, well, all bets are off for the holidays, okay? I've lost about, uh, got almost 40, 50 pounds in the last couple of months. I can eat a couple of pieces of fruitcake this holiday season. And I'm going to. As well I'm going to do that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'll tell you right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down on my knees, put on some chapstick, and blow that diet real, real hard with the fruitcake. I'm going to do it. <laughs> that was very visual. Thank you. Well, That's what <laughs> believe it or not, uh, holiday taboos and traditions are not what we are actually talking about today. Today, what we're going to talk about is uh, I came across this uh, at an article the other day talking about uh, I believe it was uh, Will Smith, and they were talking about how because uh, he's got a new book coming out, so there's a lot of press surrounding Will Smith right now, and between his marriage with Jada Pinkett being up and down and up and down and. His relationship with his father, his relationship with his kids, it's a, it's, a, it's a tumultuous affair for someone who was just this lighthearted, fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But there was an article I read that was talking about how Will Smith turned down the role of Neo in The Matrix. Which, of course, as we all know, went to fan-favorite, beloved actor Keanu Reeves, uh, which was kind of a character and uh, career-defining role for him. And uh, it got me to thinking about uh, people who have almost been cast in movies or were cast in movies and then replaced or things of that nature that uh, would have changed the entire direction of a movie, a franchise, this actor's career, what have you. And so I just came up on that idea and I thought that might be fun to talk about. So. Yeah, there's quite a few examples of that sprinkled throughout entertainment. Uh, Will Smith almost being Neo is, is one of the more famous examples. Um, but uh, when you first proposed this, the one that I thought about is one that's almost as famous. Oh, right, and right. that was how um, they're actually, I don't know if any of the footage survives. There's a certain amount of uh, question about whether or not I've seen any of it even made it into the movie. But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm referring to Eric Stoltz originally being cast as Marty McFly in the original Back to the Future film, and uh, then being replaced by Michael J. Fox. Um, but apparently it wasn't even one of those things where like he turned it down or he was in the running for it and was passed over. Um, was Eric Stoltz actually was on set, in costume, was hired, was playing the role of Marty McFly, and, and got uh, quite a bit into filming. A, you know, a couple of weeks, if not a month, into filming, Robert Zemeckis apparently decided that he wasn't getting the performance out of Stoltz that he wanted. And reportedly that was because 
Eric Stoltz considered himself a serious actor. He was bringing a certain amount of gravitas and seriousness to the part that that was not really tracking with what Zemeckis wanted out of the performance. And uh, he wanted something more lighthearted, a little bit more upbeat and funny. And so Stoltz was unceremoniously shit-canned and replaced by Alex P. Keaton, i.e. Michael J. Fox. And I don't think anybody looking back on it would argue that that was a bad decision. It may have been something that was expensive. It may have cost them some time and probably more than a little bit of money to, to completely take one actor out of the movie and put another one in and start over. But um, I have seen, now that I think about it, it's I wasn't sure if any footage times. survived. But yeah, I've seen clips. I've seen some clips, most notably the, the scene in the diner where um, uh, Marty sort of like leans forward real slow and side-eyes Biff sitting at the counter eating a sandwich. Uh, I, I remember seeing a clip of that on YouTube with uh, Eric Stoltz doing that as opposed to Michael J. Fox. Um, but yeah, they, they very famously got him out and, and put Michael J. Fox in. And I don't know anybody who would argue that was a bad decision. I mean, obviously it's a classic film that is a cultural touchstone that everybody has seen for a reason. And that right. has to do with the performances, with the characterizations, the chemistry between Doc and Marty. Um, so yeah, that was another uh, pretty famous example of that happening that... Uh, that kind of went down in cinematic history for for reasons that are pretty obvious. You know, and they had, speaking of Back to the Future, since we're on this, we'll stick with that theme here. Uh, Back to the Future 2 had a whole lot of problems uh, because of uh, actor... Crispin Glover. Back to the Future 2 had a whole lot of problems with actor Crispin Glover. He didn't like what they did with him. He didn't like how they edited and put the character together for number one, so he refused to come back for number two. Which, again, uh, I guess according to the studio, that's fine. We'll just recast you. You weren't that crucial of a part, apparently. And they recast him with uh, Jeffrey Wiseman. And, and the thing is, if they had just recast him with Jeffrey Wiseman, no one would have cared. Right. They'd have gone on their merry way. It would have looked a bit different. It would have been like the uh, the uh, Darren and Darren from Bewitched kind of thing. And, and we'd have all probably just moved past it and moved on. But what they chose to do is make this make Wiseman up to look like him. They put him in prosthetics and makeup to make him look like Crispin Glover. And Crispin Glover got rightfully pissed about that. Cause He's been bitching about that shit for like 30 years. Lawsuits. Lawsuits, man. Yes. And, and he, is, he wrote a book about it, if I'm not mistaken. And he's right to do it. He's yeah, absolutely he right was. to do it. Because... You know what? Fine. Cast someone else in my role. Fine. Whatever. But don't make it look like I'm a part of this when I'm not a part of this. You know? I get that. I get that. Especially when part of the reason why I dropped out to begin with is because I didn't really care for the character. And now you're trying to pass off somebody else as me. It looks like me. People probably think it's me unless they're committed I thought, credit watchers. I always thought it was him. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that really, really is kind of an... an yeah, it's an insult to injury moment for that actor. And, and I, I... As much as I... Uh, Kind of, I'm a little bit, not weirded out, but at least a little bit, I, I find it a little bit curious that he's hung out of that for as long as he has, because, I mean, okay, it is his most identifiable role, uh, right. and that's probably not something that anybody could argue. He's done a lot of other stuff since then, but um, he's just a, kind of a famously weird guy. Oh, um, yeah. But I, I can understand why he'd be upset. The fact that he's hung on to it this long and made such a big honking, fat, fucking federal hairy deal out of it, Maybe it's a little yeah. obsessive, but whatever. I mean, I get it. If it was the signature role of your career and uh, they didn't listen to you about what you wanted to do differently with it and cast somebody else instead and made him up to look like you, he's definitely got a real uh, leg to stand on and a bone to pick with the uh, with the production. But 
I don't know. I think he might have taken his whole gripe a little bit too far. But whatever. I mean, I, he did win the lawsuit, if I remember correctly. And and so, apparently, at least on some level, justice was served. But his career never really recovered after that. I mean, the last thing I no. can remember seeing him do was um, the movie I can't even remember where he played the guy who had all the rats. Wilbur. Will, yeah, yeah. I remember that. That's, that's I was going to say that, too. It was a pretty good movie, but it was, uh, it was well-suited to his... Incredibly bizarre persona. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever seen him on a talk show, but he's gotten, probably not recently, he's gotten banned from every talk show there is for just showing up and being a fucking odd duck and not sticking to the pre-agreed-upon asked questions and uh, just in general being a, a really unpredictable guest. Speaking of talk shows, and, and one of our little tangents that we like to do, uh, they've got this new talk show, and I want to say it's uh, it's a YouTube thing or a Peacock thing. I don't know where it comes from. But I love it. It's uh, have you, you've heard of Tignataro, comedian. Tignataro? Oh, I love Tignataro. Tignataro plays one of my absolute favorite characters on Star Trek Discovery. Now I'm going to say it. I keep saying all these people are my absolute favorite characters. They are. Discovery is chock a block full of wonderful characters and just well cast. And and she plays uh, Commander Jet Reno, who's an engineer on Discovery, and uh, snarky as shit. And I love it. It's beautiful. So she hosts this uh, kind of a talk show thing on Funny or Die. It's called Under a Rock with Tig Notaro. And what she does is she doesn't pay attention to social media. She doesn't pay attention to like TV or movies or really not any of that kind of shit. So she has a real hard time placing actors' faces with their body of work, with their name, etc. And so she has guests on her talk show where... She basically 20 questions them to try and guess who they are. And it's so the producers hilarious. set her up with, with guests. She has no idea who they are. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that I is one, hilarious. Which one is the one I just watched? I just watched Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny the other day. It was pretty funny. And uh, uh, Tony Shalhoub, uh, of course, from Monk. I watched his and uh, it's, it's absolutely hilarious. And if, I'd say check him out if you want. Uh, it's on Funny or Die. Which is all you Tig is one to. of the funniest fucking humans alive. It, oh, it, man. She really is. Hands I mean, I've, I've seen her stand up for years, and she's just, I mean, she's kind of in that in that sort of mold. Not, she's not like Stephen Wright in the mold of being sort of deadpan and dry. Um, <laughs> but she's, her delivery is kind of similar, but her her approach to comedy is so different. And she's just, she loves, I, I watched her, and she, she has these little joke grenades where she just kind of pulls the pin and throws it and waits 10 seconds, and then it creeps up on you why it's hilarious. But Tig got a lot of attention, and rightly so, a couple years ago, um, because she is famously a breast cancer survivor, and she apparently had some shows booked immediately after she had this this medical crisis. Okay. So she went on stage at the Largo in Los Angeles, which is a real comics comics kind of club, okay. and uh, it, 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 the show that she did kind of attained this legendary status where... Um, the more time goes by, the more people were at it, kind of like Woodstock. But apparently there were at least five or six like name, household name comedians that did wind up going to this show. And they just said it was this absolutely legendary transcendent set where she came out. And even though she was under this cloud from having had this horrible cancer diagnosis and at the time apparently not given very good odds for being able to, to snap out of it and push past it, she did this 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 set of just melancholy comedy this this incredibly self-conscious um mortality confronting set that has gone down in history as being one of the finest hours of comedy ever to be performed anywhere 
Um, so she uh, she is an absolute comedy legend, especially among other comedians, for a very good reason. I absolutely adore everything she's ever done. Well, okay, so now that's another one of our little sidetracks. I'm going to have to have like our own theme music for every time we fucking skedaddle down a little rabbit trail. Oh, we better not. We never have time for anything else. <laughs> uh, and, and in the interest of making everything I talk about Star Trek related, here's another little uh, example. Star Trek Voyager uh, had set out on taping its pilot episode. Everyone, of course, knows that Star Trek Voyager, if, if you haven't been under a rock like Tignataro, uh, everyone knows <laughs> that uh, Star Trek Voyager was led very ably by Captain Catherine Janeway. Uh, played by uh, Kate Mulgrew, uh, who is now back on Prodigy, fantastically so, as the holographic training advisor to the USS Protostar. And uh, the cool thing about that is uh, everyone knows her for this role. That is like her signature role. If you had to, if you said Kate Mulgrew, it's one of a couple of things. It's like, I think she was in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles that I remember seeing her in. Uh, and she was in uh, Orange is the New Black. Which I still Fantastically. haven't seen. Which I still haven't seen. But for my money, it's always going to be Captain Catherine Janeway. Now, the cool thing about that is during filming of the pilot episode, Caretaker, we got almost an entire episode without Kate Mulgrew. We had an entire episode shot with uh, French actress Genevieve Bougeot. And... She was cast, she was costumed, she was halfway through filming this first pilot episode, so it was a two-parter, and there's footage of her exists in this role, but the thing that happened was, is she got through with, like, I want to say, like, week two of filming or whatever it was, and she confronted the producers going, I don't think I can do this on a week-to-week basis. This is a lot. And, of course, anyone who's done episodic TV knows that's absolutely true. It's, it's a lot. It's a healthy, yeah. healthy time commitment, especially back then when a season of TV wasn't like now. It's like 15 shows or 14 shows or whatever it is now. Back then, it was like a solid 26, 28 episodes. So, I mean, that eats up. And you're talking like, time. you know, 16 to 18 hour days a lot of the time. Right. Working like for five, six days in a row per episode. So, it's a yeah. healthy time commitment. And I get where she's coming from, but... Footage does exist of Genevieve Bujold's uh, Captain Janeway. And, I, and I'm not sure. I believe they kept the same name. I know they tailored it a little bit for uh, uh, Kate Mulgrew. But uh, I thought it was fantastic. A little trivia there. So everything I talk about ends up in Star Trek somehow. Six degrees of Trek. So, All roads lead to Star Trek. On a different note, star-related and whatnot... Now we'll start hitting this list. Now this list that I was talking about, I found like several different articles that I'm kind of peering through and and pulling names from just because I find it interesting. But one of my, uh, the first ones that stood out to me really like brightened in my face was uh, Han Solo. And we're not talking about the Alden Ehrenreich uh, example that you set forth with, uh, uh, what was his name, the... uh, Anthony Ingruber, who really Anthony should have Ingruber, gotten that part. Yeah. He played the young Harrison Ford in Age of Adeline with Blake Lively. Right. Looks just like even, him, sounds just like him. Should have gotten that part. We're not even talking about the Harrison Ford bit, because we're talking all the way back in The Star Wars, before it was even A New Hope, the first movie. Uh, they had originally tried to cast... <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. Al Pacino. 
<laughs> Can you imagine? Can you? <laughs> All you need is a blaster by your side, kid. Can you imagine Al Pacino Get in the galaxy the far, far away? Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what you smell. Should we get in there? <laughs> I can't see it. I really can't. I don't know what they were thinking with that one. I mean, he really Han Solo really this is one of those in, iconic this was back roles. In the 70s. He was really young. This was Godfather era. Uh, Al Pacino. So, yeah, I mean, before the hua and before the deep graveliness and it, it was. He said it was his, but he didn't understand the script. Uh, in addition, he also apparently turned down Apocalypse Now and Pretty Woman uh, in the Marlon Brando and Richard Gere roles, respectively. So, uh, I mean, nobody big... would say that Al Pacino has not had a, a, a very storied and varied career full of really iconic roles. I mean, he's, he's lauded as one of the greatest American actors we have for a very yeah, good reason. Absolutely. But um, I think that was a good call on Lucasfilm's part, uh, whether or not they canned him or whether or not he backed out. Um, sounds like he, he backed out. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, Han Solo is just one of those iconic roles that is so, so tied to one actor. Um, you know, much to Harrison Ford's chagrin, he said several times that he wanted them to kill him off after the first movie, and any installment he's come back for yeah. since then, he's done so grudgingly. <laughs> but um, I love his talk show appearances where he goes on and he talks about, he just looks so deadpan and so dead inside, and it's just like, dude... Let him die, and when he finally died, uh, yeah. spoiler alert. I remember seeing him on Conan died. O'Brien, and Conan asked him, so what, what convinced you to come back for another go-around to Sound Solo? And Harrison Ford just kind of looked at him, yeah, money. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. That and the fact that, you know, it really is one of those roles that, when you, I think Solo, being one of the only uh, uh, Lucasfilm, Star Wars universe films that really kind of fell flat on its face because Alden Ehrenreich just couldn't carry that part. Um... It's just such an identifiable role that's so tied to that one actor that I just can't. I can't imagine. I can't. I, I, anybody, much less Al Pacino, being Han Solo. I, I just can't f- figure it out. It doesn't. I can't wrap my brain around it. Well, speaking of uh, Harrison Ford roles that you can't wrap your brain around anyone else being, look at this, Mom. I'm segueing. Uh, Tom Selleck was originally offered the part of Indiana Jones. Uh, <laughs> <sighs> Uh, George Lucas, who served as executive producer for Raiders of the Lost Ark, didn't want to cast Ford in another one of his projects because he was already tied down with Star Wars. Uh, Selleck had been chosen to play Indiana Jones, but had to drop out because of contractual obligations for Magnum P.I. Now, wow. Talk about, again, another career-defining role that could have gone a complete 180. Tom Selleck. Yeah, I can't. I just can't. <laughs> oh, gosh, you know. I, think I mean, he's got the swagger. Ford's, I'll give him um, the swagger. I'll give him the swagger. He's got that. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He does have that. Uh, and this one, I, I think probably as much as um, Indiana Jones is Harrison Ford's role, uh, to the point where they're actually making a fourth movie, because Chris Stoll doesn't fucking exist. Um <laughs> I, I can almost kind of see this one. I mean, you know, Tom Selleck, uh, he doesn't have that same sort of... He's a little bit too pretty boy. He's a little too polished with the twinkly eyes and the mustache. I can't see him necessarily jumping through a giant uh, net of cobwebs like Harrison Ford did trying to escape the big rolling boulder at the beginning of the first movie. Right. I, I can't see him, you know... You know, oh, it's not the uh, years, honey, it's the mileage. I can't see him having that same sort of, like, 
duality of character of like being you know gruff but still kind of lovable um he's a little too polished i think you know i think he's a little bit too well put together to be able to uh to to have that rough and tumble character that uh that 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 harrison ford pulls off so ably i can't see him like getting any dust in his mustache you know i just i can't see it (laughs) dustache dustache but i think it's not as much of a stretch as al pacino as, uh, as han solo though that's that i will say now, here's the cool thing. Did you ever watch Rescue Rangers growing up? Disney Saturday morning cartoon Rescue Rangers? Actually, it was like daytime, uh, weekday. Uh, yeah, yeah. Chip, Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers. Now, if you stop and look at Chip and Dale respectively, Chip is wearing Indiana Jones's outfit, and Dale is wearing Magnum P.I.'s outfit. And that yep. was their little the, nod uh, to, uh, the, to... The bomber characters. jacket and fedora, and then the, uh, the Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, yep. for sure. All right, and in, and in a move that I swear to God wasn't planned ahead because it almost looks like I planned these things, one last Harrison Ford reference. You ready? I'm Harrison ready. Ford was offered the role of Alan Grant in Jurassic Park, which ultimately went to Sam Neill, of course. Yeah. Uh, offered the role, he declined. So... Uh, they didn't really give any kind of specific as to why he declined, but uh, maybe he just didn't want to fuck with no digital dinosaurs. I don't know. That one could have gone either way. I mean, I think uh, the character is enough of a blank slate. Uh, not that Sam Neill didn't do a great job with it, because he did. It's it's uh, an iconic film and a, and a very pivotal role. But uh, that, I can see that. I can see Harrison Ford playing that one. Of course, Harrison Ford is, is you know, feats of fire and gun to head. If I had to pick a favorite actor, I think Harrison Ford is probably it. Um, so in my opinion, you can really play anything. Um, so if you're talking about swapping in another actor for a role that was, or actually went to Harrison Ford, I'm not, I don't, I can't necessarily see it as easily, but if you want to talk to me about roles that other actors played that were almost Harrison Ford, in most cases, I'm going to actually be able to, to picture that a lot more easily. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I still, I, at this point, I can't see anybody but Sam Neill playing the character because he did it so well. He was so fantastic in it, but I feel like maybe it was kind of a little too Indiana Jones-ish for him. Like the archaeologist yeah, aspect of it, so maybe that's why he turned it down. He's already played one archaeologist. I don't need to play another one. And and uh, Harrison Ford, uh, uh, he's really he's he's resisted typecasting in his career, which I really appreciate about him. I mean, he's he's not he hasn't really gotten pigeonholed or painted into a corner and just been forced to play the same role over and over again. So I could see him, you know, looking at it and going, "Oh, not another archaeologist." Well, now let's skip genres here. Let's go to. Uh, our good friend, Mr. Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. We have, of course, the character of Aragorn, who was played very well by Viggo Mortensen. You want to talk career-defining roles for that man. Perfectly, Aragorn I'd say. Was perfect in that role, and I loved him to death. One of my favorite parts of that movie. Now picture Aragorn, stoic Aragorn, played by Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I will not. No, you can't make me. <laughs> in an interview with Newsweek, Nicholas Cage revealed that he turned down the role of Aragorn in Lord of the Rings because of the commitment involved. He said, there were different things going on in my life at the time that precluded me from being able to travel and be away from home for three years. But he said he doesn't regret that because he gets to enjoy the series as a fan. Now, holy crap. This list could solely be populated by geek culture movies and just be fine, but I mean, I'm sure there's going to be more. But Vigo Mortensen not as Aragorn, but fucking Nicolas Cage, I can't see it. 
I, I would have gone with you to the end, into the very fires of Mordor. <laughs> and Nick Cage also was originally cast in a Superman movie, too, to the point where they got past costume fitting and everything. And there's his lanky, skeletor-looking ass in a, in a Superman suit of sorts with long hair flowing behind him. And I'm like, no, thank you. Please, no. And I'm sorry. No, we, we, we talked about... He's a notorious Superman fan. I think he named his kid Kyle. Oh, yeah. I, you're right, he did. So, I but, mean, I mean, I, you know, I, Superman, the role of Superman, and we talked about this before. We, we, we talked quite a bit about this, about you know who played the best Superman right. a good couple of months ago. And, um, you know, all the different Superman. We've had Brandon Browth, we've had Christopher Reeve, we've had, uh, obviously, Henry Cavill. And uh, you, you, there's a certain look you got to have if you're going to play Superman. you got to have that square jaw, possibly the cleft chin, the little spit girl in the middle of the forehead, sort of classically handsome features. And um, not that Nick Cage isn't a good-looking dude, but physically he's just all wrong for the role. Uh, and I remember seeing the photos of, of him in that costume, and it just looked like bad cosplay. Uh, yeah. The costume, first of all, was like a really bad, tight, shiny, plastic-looking vinyl. Um, <laughs> but he just, with his Nicolas Cage head floating above it, it just wasn't... I, mm, anybody who took one look at that costume test would have probably just thought to themselves, and this no, may even have been what happened, I don't know. Yeah, nope, the same, nah, it's not going to work. We're not doing it this We're not doing it this way, no. It's definitely a no for me, dog. Yeah, we're going to pass uh, on that. Okay, and there's a couple more Lord of the Rings ones, but I, I, I want to make sure I don't look like I'm just focusing on one or two things. Now, check this out. Here's one I didn't know before today. Johnny Depp was reportedly originally considered for the titular character of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So we would have had Johnny Depp instead of Matthew Broderick. I really can't see that happening. I can and I can't. Like this is you got to imagine. You got to remember back when. Uh, I mean, what year did uh, Ferris Bueller come out? That was like late nineties, eighty eight, eighty nine, something like that. Okay, so Fer- you got to remember this is back in like nineteen eighty six era. This is yeah. eighty six Johnny Depp. This is you know Nightmare on Elm Street and twenty uh, one uh, Jump, Jump Street, Street and and yeah so. I mean, I can kind of see it. It would have been different. It would have. He would have sh- certainly had a different kind of savoir-faire, if you will. But I, I, yeah, I don't know if I can see it. I mean, Johnny Depp has always kind of had that real. You know, he, he's sort of been defined by that too cool for school thing. I mean, you know, crybaby with the cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve and the greasy pompadour. Um, uh, you know, Ferris Bueller's whole a big part of his his appeal is that he was kind of quirky and kind of nerdy. Yeah, he was a popular kid, but he. He just kind of was, was a little bit goofy, a little bit offbeat. Whereas Johnny Depp, even though he can do goofy and offbeat, we've seen him do goofy and offbeat. I mean, Jack Sparrow was definitely goofy and offbeat. He, he's got a sort of classic cool that I can't really see being right for a role like Ferris Bueller. I agree. And, and I think a large part of this is, is, is we're trying to have this conversation. But how difficult is it to actually, in our brains, separate the original characters who we've grown to know and love over the years from that role and be able to try and see somebody else in it. It's, it's difficult without, like, footage or costumes or, or whatever. I mean, somewhere in a parallel universe, uh, somebody's doing a podcast saying, man, Matthew Broderick was almost Ferris Bueller instead of Johnny Depp. I can't see that happening at all. Who would listen to a podcast like that? Yeah, idiots. Yeah, idiots, all of you. Uh, here's another one. Jack Nicholson declined to star as Michael Corleone in The Godfather. Instead, surrendering the role, of course, to Al Pacino. Uh, holy shit, would that have been different? Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, <laughs> Jack Nicholson has this really, no matter what role he does, and he, he's got, he, he occupies a very specific niche in the popular culture. He's got that sort of creepy manic energy going on. He's, he's really just <laughs> sinister. And not that Michael Corleone wasn't, but it's, it's a different kind of understated. sinister. Understated. Yeah. Jack Nicholson has a real kind of sleazy sinister energy, you know? <laughs> And he carries that through roll to roll, um, but it wouldn't have been right for the for the the Al Pacino part. I agree, I agree. And I guess he turned it down on a roll at the time. He says uh, he passed on it because back then I believed that Indians should play Indians and Italians should play Italians was the quote. So, which I mean, we're kind nowadays, of coming around to that now. Yeah, absolutely. I I certainly applaud that kind of thought process. Of course, he did backpedal on that. Uh, to star in Princey's Honor, but uh, whatever. Who's who's keeping track? Yeah, I suppose. A paycheck's a paycheck. I guess. Uh, now, one of the cooler things lately is people have been really trying hard, real tryhards, and we've talked about this before, to get uh, uh, John Kaczynski and Emily Blunt into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, most notably in the role of Sue Storm and Reed Richards. And mm-hmm. what most people may not be aware of uh, she was the first choice for Marvel Cinematic Universe character, Black Widow, who eventually, of course, knowingly went to Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, uh, and I can't see that one either, because Emily Blunt has this real... She's got this innocence about her. Even if she's trying to be menacing, she still has this incredibly sympathetic face that Scarlett Johansson uh, is able to sort of flip between... Um, menacing femme fatale and sort of like shrinking violet and that really works for that character there's that famous scene where she's kind of uh strapped to the chair being interrogated by the russian general in one of the avengers films i can't remember which they all kind of blur together if you watch them all as many times as i have um or in the famous scene where uh, she's kind of interrogating loki when he's in the bubble on the ship um where she has this uh, um, she she plays the spy really really well because she can flip back and forth at the, at the drop of a hat between sort of like playing very coy and frightened and then in the next instant, in an eye blink, she's confident, self-assured, and in charge of the entire thing. And that's come into play a couple of different times with the writing in that character. And I think she does an absolutely fucking marvelous job with that. Whereas I think Emily Blunt, she has softer features and she's a little bit more, uh, I don't know, retiring, a little bit more reserved. And I can't see her being able to... To, to flip like that quickly from from playing the role of, of sort of like I'm frightened in this moment to oh no I, I had you in the palm of my hand all along the way that Scarjo does. I would absolutely love to see what she could do in a superhero movie. So again, if they cast her as Sue Storm, I would not be disappointed. Uh, and of course, she, her husband John Krasinski uh, was came very close to being cast as Captain America. Got as far as the costume fitting, and uh, ultimately we all know the role went to Chris Evans, who played it to an absolutely uh, fantastic hilt. Um, but, uh, oh God, he's, I can't, you know, it's another one of those things you can't imagine anybody else in that role. It is. And, and God, did it look good in those leotards? You know, I'm not even into (laughs) dudes, but I wouldn't kick Chris Evans out of bed for eating crackers. I don't think anybody would. Your most homophobic friend could not give you shit as a dude for having sex with Chris Evans. Oh, I heard you had sex with a dude. Uh, yeah, that's Chris Evans. Oh, Oh. oh, okay. Well, Uh, did he hold you afterwards? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You know, some people are just too beautiful. They transcend orientation. But that guy owned that part. Um, But I think probably part of the reason why people talk so much about Emily and John being Sue and Reed um, is because it's sort of at least known that they were passed over for 
being Natasha and Steve roles. So kind of getting a, a second chance, a, a second shot of a go around in the MCU. Um, that is kind of the, the, the biggest stunt casting, the biggest sort of uh, wished for fan casting that I've heard about any upcoming Marvel projects is those two will always be kind of uh, mentioned in the same breath as those parts and they're talking about who they should have play them. And it's going to be difficult if they cast someone else in those roles because everyone else is like already hyped up for that shit. And so like, they're going to yeah. have a huge mountain to climb after that. So, Well, there's a big deal also right now happening with the fact that um, they're trying to figure out who should be Squirrel Girl. Uh, and apparently, oh, uh, yeah, uh, Milena Vintrub, who plays Lily on the AT&T commercial, she's a fantastic actress, very underrated. Uh, the fact that her best-known role is on a commercial uh, is just really tragic because she's fantastic. Kind of criminal, yeah. But apparently... Uh, yeah, she suited up and, and did some stuff. I think she even shot some uh, stuff for a canceled series. I don't remember. I, I apologize. I know that that's true, but I don't remember what it was called. There's just so much entertainment news and so many projects coming and going all the time on, on uh, release I schedules say that and was calendars. The New Warriors project. I, yeah, you know what? Now that you mentioned it, you're absolutely right. It was the New Warriors, and uh, she was uh, very closely associated with that role, but that was a canceled project. So now there's a whole bunch of uh, speculation about whether or not she's going to get a second chance. To, uh, to suit up as the character, or whether they're going to give it to somebody who's more of a, a, a household name, like maybe Anna Kendrick they're talking about for it as well. But she's been um, really eager I don't know, I really hope it's... Uh, so. Yeah, she's, she's been on record several times in different interviews saying she'd love to play that part, but I don't know, man. I mean, the, the, the internet favorite for that right now is still Melena Vintrub, and I hope she gets a chance to play it, because she looked great in the costume, and she'd do a fantastic job with the role, and, you know, frankly, I, I think she's great, and she needs the break. So one of my favorite television shows in recent memory, and I've been on, I've been going back through my TV shows and rewatching them now that I got eight thousand streaming services and mm-hmm. a lot of time to kill at work. Uh, one of my favorite TV shows, uh, recent memory, and probably within the last two decades, was Breaking Bad. It was a show that I didn't expect a whole lot out of going into it. Uh, I definitely felt the same way about Brian Cranston at that point, just thinking, "Oh man." It's that dude from Malcolm in the Middle. How is this going to work? Right. And, and I have never been more pleasantly surprised by just a breathtaking performance. Yeah, for my two cents, Breaking Bad is the best show that has ever aired on television anywhere in all of history. And I know that's a hyperbolic statement, but I, I really I firmly believe it. it. it it's, yeah, it, it is the best show that's ever aired. To, to, to my eye and, and to a lot of critics' assessments... It's it's just nothing even comes close to that. It's just peak peak television. All right, now take that char- character of Walter White, take that image in your head of Brian Cranston as Heisenberg. Now replace that image, if you will, with Matthew Broderick. Now Matthew once again, Broderick I will not. <laughs> was not actually offered the role because uh, creator Vince Gilligan always wanted uh, Cranston for the role, and, and it looks like it was tailor-made for him. But the mm-hmm. uh, studio, AMC, had decided they wanted uh, someone uh, more bankable, like you said before with Anna Kendrick. They wanted someone who was more household name, and the guy from Malcolm in the Middle wasn't it. Um, and some Power Rangers. He did play it on the Power Rangers, but they wanted Matthew Broderick uh, thrown out, but he passed. Thankfully. Thank you, Matthew Broderick, for having some good common goddamn sense. Also apparently considered for that role was John Cusack. So, I can't. Huh. I, I just can't. And, and yeah, again, both fine I, actors, I, but yeah, yeah, no. I can't see it. 
I've admitted to having a difficulty separating the image in my head from uh, the What If Universe version of these shows, but uh, I can't see anybody but Brian Cranston in that role. He was just absolutely breathtaking in that role. Yeah, he was. Oh, now, here's boy. another one. I, I'm yeah. scrolling down this list here, and I'm seeing that um, apparently uh, the, the role of Jack, very famously played by uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in James Cameron's Titanic, almost went to Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> what? Apparently Kate Winslet screen hell? tested with Matthew McConaughey. He was uh, in the running for the role. Um, he, he didn't turn it down. It wasn't offered to him. That probably isn't the case that I can find. But um, but Kate Winslet uh, did, uh, who ultimately played Rose, we all know that, did do a screen test with Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I'm Good. a door like one of my French girls. <laughs> I can't see him without the accent. I can't see him without these over-exaggerated Texas drawl that he does. and I mean, it's literally in everything he does. I just watched uh, Interstellar not that long ago, and it's right fucking there, dead center. And I just can't see, I can't see him breaking out of that drawl, you know. I just can't, he's just going to talk like this. And uh, God, I wish it, I was It's so associated with him. I would love to be able to do voices. That'd be great. We need Frank Caliendo on the show. Uh, that's a good one. I hadn't seen that one yet. Uh, how about this? We'll switch uh, genres here. Molly Ringwald had an early look at the script for Pretty Woman and turned it down in the Julia Roberts role. You know, That's that a, one I can actually see. I can kind of see it. I mean, I love Julia Roberts in that movie specifically. I mean, yes, I'm a 40-something-year-old man. I did enjoy Pretty Woman. I thought Julia Roberts was fucking drop-dead gorgeous back in the day. Still pretty good. I mean, let's nowadays. be fair. She yeah. still is. She's yeah. she's she's what the kids call well preserved. Well preserved indeed. She did have that uh, South Park Canadian smile though, where if she smiled too big, it might flap her head open and she could eat your head. I'm not your friend, buddy. But uh, yeah, see the thing is, you know me, uh, and I have a. I'm going to be vulnerable here for a second. We're, I have a, a we're profound call that a predilection. A profound. I'll go ahead and go so far as to call it a profound weakness for redheads. Yeah. Um, I just do, um, you know, it's, it's and something that I, I have come to accept about myself. Yeah. I mean, if you look back through my dating history, redheads, even though they're a very small and percentage of the population genetically, they're highly overrepresented in my, uh, in my romantic past. And I just, uh, I don't know. I've got a, I've got a, a weakness. I um, about you. so I can see Molly Ringwald playing that because, uh, she's, uh, just as cute as, as Julie Roberts, equally talented. And, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those ones and, that is as, and, as and much as... And she was in her heyday back then. That was in the heyday of all yeah. the John Hughes movies, Pretty in Pink, Sixteen Candles. All the Brat Pack Club. stuff. Yeah, I mean, she was on fire back then. And relatively unknown, Julia Roberts at that point. I guess they decided to move and give it a chance. And uh, well, Speaking of Julia Roberts, uh, uh, go. Yeah. I, I've got this in front of me where Julia Roberts apparently read the script for The Blind Side and did not care for the role that eventually ultimately went to Sandra Bullock. Oh, Interesting. I don't. I think I did see that movie. It's it's kind of outside of my wheelhouse, but that's kind of something that my wife and I maybe watched, and 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 that's just not just me pinning it on my wife. My watch wife watches just as much action and and geeky shit as I do, but I, I want to. Well, see yeah, if I, I mean, we, we don't with her. We don't shit on anything. Sports is a fandom too, even though it's not one we really cover. 
Um, but I don't tend to watch sports movies for the most part. And I mean, you could argue that The Blind Side is a family film and it's not really a sports movie, but it's told through the lens of sports. And so I didn't really watch it. There's a lot of movies that are good movies that deal with larger themes but because like they're kind of set in the world and, of sports. Moneyball and Concussion that. and, you know, Varsity, Friday Night Lights. Varsity Night uh, Blues or whatever that was called. Friday yeah, Night you really Blues can't or... argue that they're good movies. They're, they're good Blues. movies, but because the sports factor so heavily into these stories... Of these films, I don't really, I don't really see them. But I, uh, I did see The Blind Side um, when it came out. I, I think I even saw that in the theater, and and uh, it was a very enjoyable film. Uh, I, I did really enjoy that one, football and all. Well, I do. I really enjoy Sandra Bullock. Uh, she's she's just a very talented woman. I enjoy her. And, and on on that tip of sports movies um, yeah. that aren't really sports movies because they deal with other things, um, Tom Cruise. Is 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 Jerry Maguire? Tom Cruise Absolutely. is show me the was money. and always will be Jerry Maguire. However, Jerry Maguire was almost wait for a drum roll, please. Tom Hanks. Oh shit, Tom Hanks. Now, beloved a Tom sleazy, Hanks. Right. A, a, what is a sleazy agent? A sleazy sports agent? Oh my god, I don't know if I can. See America's it. sweetheart, Tom Hanks. You can play anything. He even takes a. A kind of a, a floppy mess like uh, Polar Express and makes it watchable because he's Tom fucking Hanks. Uh, um, my family's going to make yeah, me watch almost it again. Jerry Maguire. It's a Christmas almost Jerry Maguire. I can't see it. I mean, I could see him yelling, "Show me the money!" in my head cannon. And I think we can we could probably go on uh, on the internet and do some deep fake into that shit and try to see what it actually looks like. But uh, I I don't know. I, I think Tom Cruise did really well on that in that part because he's got a bit of sleaze to him. Uh, no yeah. offense, Mr. Cruz, but... Uh, well, yeah. you know, I mean... Play to type. Yeah, a little bit. A little, little, bit. Bit, little, bit, little bit. Here's one for you. This might get your panties in a twist. Uh, guess who that, then. almost played Michael Scott on The Office? Guess. I Never think guess. I know this. I want Paul to say... Giamatti. Yeah. You know? Paul Giamatti. You There's know? no way you'd have guessed that. That that could have worked. Maybe. That honestly could have worked. He's got that same I, I, kind of I ad- frantic energy. Yeah, I adore Paul Giamatti. I really oh, do. Yeah. And, Absolutely. And I think he's he's got that sort of face where he can play kind of dopey, but at the same time, um, you also believe erudition yeah. coming out of it. I mean, I you know, I think he's he's got a very uh, versatile thing going on with his his physicality. So, as much as I love Steve Carell, I think um, that might not have been that big of a stretch. Also, our uh, peripherally office-related, they did offer, when uh, Steve Carell left the office, they were looking for a replacement boss for Dunder Mifflin, and uh, one of the almost casts for that was James Gandolfini of The Sopranos fame, Tony Soprano himself. HBO stepped in and said, no, we're going to give you... Uh, a couple million bucks. We don't want you doing that. Here's a bonus. Don't do it. Because it was still right when The Sopranos was freaking hot. And they didn't want to sully the brand. They didn't want to water it down by having him appear in a comedy like that. So, Which is sad. Well, speaking of Tony Soprano, uh, yeah. apparently um, Ray Liotta almost got that role. <laughs> Ray Liotta and Steven Van Zant, Little Steven from the E Street Band who ended up playing Dante, uh, Silvio Dante on this show. His consigliere. But Ray Liotta, holy shit! Yeah, put, put and him I in love Ray with Liotta. Lorraine I think Rocco he's great. Again? Please, oh, yeah, take take my. I, I adore Ray Liotta. I, 
as much as I'm not like a huge, huge fan of mob movies, I don't think anybody would argue that Goodfellas is one of the great American films. Absolutely. And in large part, that was because of Ray Liotta. I think he's a fantastic actor, and I think he would have done a good job. I mean, obviously, Gandolfini is, uh, is, is uh, we, we miss in, him. He was a great actor. Inseparable from the role at this point. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I, that's, that's one of those ones that isn't that big of a stretch. I, I, can, I can see that. I can see that happening. That's funny. The list I'm scrolling through just has that right after you said that. That's funny. Uh, now let's see. Uh, continuing down this list. Now here's an interesting one. Talk about playing to type. Henry Winkler of Fonzie fame was a top choice to play Danny Zuko in the musical Grease, who was, of course, played by John Travolta. Now if you look at both of those characters, you're going to notice there's a lot of similarities between the two. The, the pompadour, world, the leather the jacket, the yeah. swagger. Yeah, easy, easy substitution there. I could see the Fonz being uh, Danny Zuko easily. Henry Winkler has talked quite a bit about how he, as much as he has identified with Fonzie, and, is, and I'm... I'm I'm a Milwaukee guy. Uh, we, you know, uh, Happy Days was set in Milwaukee, and if you walk uh, over one of the Riverwalk bridges right downtown, there's the Bronze Fawns, a famous uh, statue that's right there on a pedestrian thoroughfare in Milwaukee, and Henry Winkler has visited it several times. He posed for the sitting. Um, but Henry Winkler, he's, he's a, uh, by his own admission, just a nice, quiet little Jewish boy. How he got to play this sort of, like, classically Italian character, uh, even he's not really sure how that happened. He's talked several times about how were he to be asked to play that role today uh, as, as a young actor, he would turn it down because of the same thing we talked about with Jack Nicholson, where folks of certain backgrounds and, and ethnicities should probably play those on screen. Um, but still, I mean, you look back on that, and I can't picture anybody else being Arthur Fonzarelli, but uh, Henry Winkler, uh, he's, 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 uh, he played against type. Not an Italian greaser type. And especially if anybody's seen him on the very fantastic Barry with Bill Hader, where he plays a character that's a lot closer to his own persona. Um, it's just really funny to think that um, sort of this nice, nebbishy Jewish boy who wears cardigans and has a nice, soft haircut <laughs> could have ever, like, played this this character <laughs> of, of Arthur Fonzarelli. But, yeah. yeah, but, um, yeah, the, the character of uh, Danny Zuko and, and the character of Arthur Fonzarelli, uh, actors notwithstanding, those characters are, are largely interchangeable. So They're the same archetype. Yeah, for sure. Now, here's an interesting one. Uh, one that's kind of controversial to me because I love this movie so hard. Uh, Django Unchained by director Quentin Tarantino. Very nearly had a very different Django. We almost had Will Smith as the titular character. Uh, apparently, he told The Hollywood Reporter to me... It's as perfect a story as you could ever want. A guy that learns how to kill to retrieve his wife that he's been taken as a slave. That idea is perfect. And it was just that Quentin and I couldn't see eye to eye. Because Smith wanted it to be about love and Tarantino wanted it to be about vengeance. Uh, he says, we can't look at what happens in Paris, the terrorist attacks at the time, and want to fuck somebody up for that, he said. Violence begets violence. I just couldn't connect to violence being the answer. Love had to be the answer. So notably, he went a different direction. Uh, Tarantino, I mean, and and I get that. I can, I kind of see where Smith's coming from because you don't want to necessarily all the time uh, glorify violence like that. But in this role, in this movie in particular, just from its very bones, its very construction is about the need for vengeance and this desire to correct these wrongs that were done on 
not just Django himself, but uh, uh, African-American slaves as a whole, what they went through, their experience, wanting to have some small measure of uh, gratifying, you know, bloody revenge, I get. I don't know why it was done yeah. by a white guy, Quentin Tarantino, but, you know, whatever. That well, I understand Will Smith's reservations on that, because Will Smith tends to be a pretty positive guy. Yeah. Um and I can see why he would want love to win on that. But if you're going to, if you're looking, starring in a Quentin Tarantino movie, looking for love to win is kind of like uh, <laughs> going to McDonald's looking for a gourmet salad. It's just not going to happen. The guy makes, if there's any sure, food line you, that connects. You get a salad, but it's, I mean, it's not going to be yeah. a salad. It's going to have chicken strips in it and full fat fucking ranch dressing maybe. But, you know, Tarantino, his whole through line, his whole brand is revenge films. I mean, Kill Bill was a four-hour-long epic about revenge, and it was beautifully shot, and and uh, just the story was fantastic. So, I don't know. I mean, whether or not Will Smith was contacted to do it, or whether or not he was just in the running for it or auditioned for it. Oh, no, if he you're spent gonna be in hours a Tarantino talking movie, to Tarantino about it. Yeah, if, if you're going to talk about being in a Tarantino movie, you have to know what that dude's brand is. And... Uh, yeah, that there might it. be uh, some yeah. some some love stories, there might be some love interests, or uh, a little bit of that stuff happening in in, in Tarantino films. But ultimately, it's going to be about bloody revenge. That's we all know that. We, going into it, we know that's what it's about. So it's kind of a fool's errand to be looking to Tarantino for uh, for a love redemption arc. It's just not going to happen. So I got a few more. I want to make sure you run down because uh, we're we're kind of running tight on time. We've been talking a lot, which tends to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, here's an interesting one. Uh, you remember Sister Act? The vehicle oh, sure. for Whoopi Goldberg right back right after her Jumpin' Jack Flash days and all of that. Uh, now imagine that role in Sister Act being played by Bette Midler. Uh, that one I will indulge because I happen to adore Bette Midler. I think she's a fantastic actress. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, very talented and a great singer. Um, so as much as Whoopi owns that role and as much as I am glad that she played it and it's one of those films that, again, everybody's just seen. It's just one of those cultural touchstones. Um, I can actually almost see the Divine Miss M taking on that part and running with the ball. I can, too. Uh, again, not to, it would be a different story, I think. It, it would be a different interpretation of it, but uh, I think all of this would turn sure. to a different interpretation. So, We're going to run down a couple of these really, really quick because I want to make sure we get to some of these. Hugh Jackman turned down the role of 007 because his Wolverine contract got in the way. Which there have been so many actors that have been tossed around yeah. for 007. I remember uh, they actually originally were going to cast Pierce Brosnan when they put in Timothy Dalton, but he couldn't get out of his contract at Remington Steel. Uh, he eventually got a chance to play the character, and he did a fantastic job I with it, in Timothy my opinion. Yeah. Um, and then apparently, uh, I remember hearing rumors at the time that they were, before Daniel Craig slid into the role, they were talking about offering it to Clive Owen and also uh, Yoan Griffith, uh, both of which would have been fantastic. Um and I have to go on record as saying I'm not a huge fan of Daniel Craig in the Bond role. I'm actually kind of glad that No Time to Die is his last go around in it, mostly oh, because I didn't the mind character. It. I, you know, here's the thing about that though. James Bond is a very specific kind of character. He's a gentleman spy, and he has to look right. just as at home at a baccarat table in Monte Carlo as he does, you know, punching some dude off an oil tanker somewhere off the coast of uh, <laughs> Jordan. It has to be that. It has to be that duality of that character, that, that sort of, uh, he's punchy, but he's also a gentleman. And Daniel Craig just kind of, his look is all wrong. He kind of looks like a dock worker. He looks like a soccer hooligan. He's got that kind of doughy face. I don't buy him as the gentleman part. And I think under the uh, not-so-able hand of Daniel Craig, and again, I love him as an actor. I just think he was really wrong for that role. 
uh, I really think that they've kind of turned James Bond into a generic action hero. Uh, and we have plenty of those just kind of, you know, punchy, buff, not very suave kind of guys. There's really only one James Bond. Like when I watched, I want to say it was Casino Royale, and the actor playing uh, Q slid him a gun on a bench in a museum, and, um, you know, he's looking around for special toys or extra things that the gun can do, and, uh, and uh, hey, I'm sorry, Bond, what were you expecting? A, a watch that shoots laser beams? Yeah, he's fucking James Bond! <laughs> A thousand action heroes carry a gun. Yeah, we want James Bond to have fun gadgets that uh, that that somehow you know Q decides early on in the movie what gadgets he's going to get, and then he needs those exact gadgets later. We want to see that resolution. We want to see that kind of thing happen. Or he or was when it was uh, pressing it with that, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Or, or Judy <laughs> Dench as M in the passenger seat of the Aston Martin. Uh, I'm sorry, Bond. Are you looking for the ejection seat? We've cut that out. We've also cut out all the humor and all the heart from that character. You know, James Bond is a very specific character, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him kind of get back to that classic uh, suave gentleman spy thing, as opposed to just being like another, you know, punchy, shooty action hero. All right, one of the last ones I'll bring up, and then we'll check and see if you have any others you want to talk about. Sure. Because this is such a big movie, and one of my favorite stars... uh, Forrest Gump, starring America's Sweetheart, Mr. Tom Hanks, almost got played by several different character actors, including Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Oof. and John Travolta. Now, we've gone over how much I... in that role. Uh, Chevy Chase I have kind of beat to death how much Bill Murray pisses me off for Bill fucking Murray's around not doing too. Ghostbusters 3 until after Harold Ramis died and it was too late. Um... But Bill Murray, he's he's got that sort of sardonic, sarcastic, eye-rolling thing. I can't see him playing somebody with, with a mental challenge. I can't see it. He's too snarky. Uh, and Chevy Chase, uh, Chevy Chase and Beloved are two words that have never until just then been spoken <laughs> in the same breath. That guy is a notorious he's cocksucker. Nobody likes asshole. him. Yeah. Everybody hates that. You know, there's a whole article that was written in Rolling Stone maybe six or eight months ago that I read about Chevy Chase not understanding why nobody wants to work with him. And then they went and interviewed all these people that have worked with him and said, I'll tell you why nobody wants to work with Chevy Chase. He's an asshole. Do you want the short He's always been an asshole. Shit. He'll always be an asshole. So, you know, I can't see that. And Travolta, I, I don't really know. I just think completely wrong for that role. That's true. I get that. I, I feel that to my bones. I can't see anybody but Tom Hanks in that role. And again, that's that one doesn't actually come from me not being able to separate character from actor. That one just comes from those three choices just kind of rankle me a little bit. Chevy Chase is For different reasons. a notorious dickbag. Bill Murray is yep. just kind of a douche. But you don't want that in a Forrest Gump. You need that earnestness. And that, you know, you wouldn't have gotten that with those two guys. I don't that think. That lovability. Right. Right, because deep in your bones, you love Forrest Gump because Forrest Gump is played by Tom Hanks. And it's like, oh, well, Tom Hanks is doing his thing. He's lovable. We already have a a lovable past for this character. You put someone sleazy in the role and then try to overcome that lovable hump uh, to get to the lovable part, and you just can't do it, I don't think. I can't do it. Nobody loves Chevy Chase. Not even Chevy Chase (laughs) loves Chevy Chase. Not anymore. I think he really uh, finally understands what kind of a... I, I read Dan Harmon's talking about working with him. Or was it Dan Harmon who worked him on? Is it Community? No, he was on. Yeah, no, yeah. It was, it was Dan Harmon, who's the showrunner on that. Yeah, and then like just the shenanigans and shit that he got into on the Community set was just, it's just alarming and, and it's just crazy. So, I can't see him in that kind of a lovable role. Nor I. 
Oh, I did have one more that I skimmed past. I want to make sure I mentioned. Now, you seen Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic? You know what? I haven't. How and there's dare a good you, reason sir. for that. I know. Okay, I love Elton John, but here's the thing. Um, I'm a little bit cynical about Hollywood, having worked in it for like 15 minutes, about sort of how Hollywood's whole idea, whenever something's successful, is give us that but different. So as a film, I don't think Rocket Man would have been made if not for the success of Bohemian Rhapsody a year oh, earlier. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, I think, um, you know, somebody in some Hollywood studio said, oh, so people love movies about flamboyant gay British piano playing songwriting legends. Let's make a movie about Elton John where we do the music too. Maybe we'll be able to catch lightning in a bottle the second time. Um, but I, think I they just, did. you know, I, I can't. liked it. Taron yeah, Egerton I, I didn't, uh... was great in that role. And I love Taron Egerton. Don't get, he's, I think he's fantastic. I love the, uh, the, the Kingsman movies. I think he's a fantastic actor. But I just, I was too cynical about how, the reasons why that movie was obviously greenlit. Um, because, you know, we've done a whole episode about how much I fucking love Queen. And right. Elton John is fantastic. I have no, you know, uh, animosity towards Elton John. I think he's a great musician. I've always loved his music. always been a fan. But it was just so transparently obvious why that movie got made. And I just was like, you know what? I don't, I can't see... I just can't see seeing it. I, you know, I'll probably get around to it eventually, but I was so like, oh, really? You're going to do? Okay. I, I, all right, fine. But I just kind of passed on it because of that. Well, Taron Egerton, like I said, I really enjoyed his take on the character. He did his own singing. I mean, he did a really fantastic job in that movie. But what we almost got, Justin Timberlake. Huh. Picture that. Can you see Justin Timberlake? with the Elton John kind of thing going on. I can't. I can't. Yeah. I, I, I mean, actually, I can. I, he's Weirdly, flamboyant, I can. but in a completely different way. Like, uh, I can't see that, flamboyant, actually. it's swagger. It's just, ugh, I don't know. It's hard. For oh, me. and that's the other, as long as I'm, I'm kind of bagging on Rocketman a little bit, and I kind of am. Um, one of the things, I did watch Whoa, a clip. Somebody sent me a clip and said, yeah, as long as we're on the subject, somebody sent me a clip of... Um, the I'm Still Standing section, which is a great song. I love the song. And uh, Taron Egerton sang the shit out of it and, and, and really did a fantastic job in the scene from what I saw. But I was distracted by something that was really kind of in my face during the scene that I looked at and went, really, that's that's all the more you're going to do. Um, <laughs> Rami Malek, very famously, because if you're going to play Freddie Mercury, Freddie Mercury had very prominent teeth. He had an overbite. Um, everybody knows that. And the reason Freddie didn't have it fixed is because he was afraid that it would take him out of commission for too long while he yielded. Uh, he didn't want to do that to the band because Queen, for many, many years, did record tour, record tour, record tour, back to back. And taking a year off to let a broken jaw heal, which is what would have been required to actually get his teeth fixed, would have been unfair to the band and unfair to the fans. And Freddie never wanted to do that to anybody. He was really, a, just had a golden heart, that guy. But he also didn't want to mess up his voice. And obviously, if you're doing anything tinkering around with your mouth... So, point being, Freddie Mercury had some prominent teeth, and they made a dental appliance for Rami Malek to wear in the Bohemian Rhapsody movie uh, in order to achieve that effect of Freddie Mercury's protruding front teeth. Um, so, while I'm watching The Rocket Man, uh, Elton John famously has a gap in between his two front teeth, right. and in order to achieve that effect in The Rocket Man movie, they took a Sharpie and drew a line down the middle of Taron Egerton's mouth. You can see it. It's just a little black line they drew on his teeth. I and I looked at it and I went, close. really? They're going to go to all the trouble of making Rami Malek a, a dental appliance to play Freddie Mercury, but they're going to like literally take some just blackout makeup and draw a little line down Taron Egerton's you know, front teeth? That's I'm all gonna they're going to do? Go, I'm going to have to go and look at that. It just looked kind of cheap, especially after watching Bohemian Rhapsody and seeing how effective that particular makeup job was. Well, those are our picks. Jim, did you have any more you wanted to talk about? or? 
Well, um, I did see this one, which I thought was interesting. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, deservedly, in my opinion, won an Oscar for Silver Linings Playbook. Um, That movie's a little divisive sometimes. Uh, Not everybody loves it. Um, I haven't seen it. But I think she and Bradley Cooper had great chemistry. I think it was a sympathetic portrayal of mental illness, um, which is something that you don't really get all that often. But uh, the role uh, that Jennifer Lawrence played in Silver Linings Playbook uh, was turned down by Anne Hathaway. Interesting. And apparently, she and David O. Russell, actors. the director, uh, had some creative differences about the how the characters be portrayed, and so um, she was offered the role. They met on it. Uh, she had some ideas about the character that the director didn't share, and so they were not able to come to an agreement uh, for her to play the character. See, not having seen uh, Silver Linings Playbooks, I think, kind of cripples me from uh, passing judgment on that. I know they're both extraordinarily talented actresses, and I don't want to say they are for that, but uh, that might have to be one I pick up. I do like Bradley Cooper as well, so it's it's a great movie in my opinion. I really enjoyed it, and it uh, deals with some pretty heavy themes. But it um, it's it's one of those movies that I think uh, everybody really needs to see. It's a very sympathetic film and um, helps people who may not have certain issues understand others who do. And Bradley Cooper, for those of you who don't know, is my second favorite actor to portray a raccoon. So, uh, the, first, <laughs> the first was uh, this chonky boy I saw stuck in a tree on uh, on TikTok. So, um, anyways, I, I, I that's all I've had as far as that subject goes. I think we've. I mean, we could seriously. There's such a long and, and rampant list of this throughout Hollywood history that we could just literally jaw about this for for hours and hours and hours. But Ain't nobody got time for that. Maybe we'll do a. Part yeah, we, we didn't even we didn't even touch day. on how Denzel Washington was almost the Brad Pitt role in Seven, yeah. uh, about how Macaulay Culkin apparently turned down a role on The Big Bang Theory, yeah. um, and uh, and I guess uh, Chris Hemsworth almost got the role that uh, uh, Channing Tatum played in the GI Joe films. There's just yeah, Hollywood is littered with the, with these uh, these I almost had that part kind of right. things. I mean, even like. Uh, um, the, the, the lead character in Salt, before it was rewritten to be played by uh, a woman, i.e. Angelina Jolie, was apparently Tom Cruise's attached to that. So it's just, there's, there's, there's countless examples of this happening right. throughout Hollywood history about how you know, the casting director or the actor or a director zigged when they could have zagged and they, they put one performer in where another one wound up uh, landing this iconic career-defining performance. Um, yeah, we could do another whole episode on this. It's just uh, one of those things that that you just see a lot of, and you hear all kinds of things about it, and you think to yourself, boy, how different would that movie TV show would have been if, if this person who, who uh, didn't wind up getting the role would have played it? What, what, would have, what, how, how, what would the outcome have been for that? Right. Well, let us know what you think. If there's one you think we missed, uh, hit us up, let us know. Uh, I would certainly like to know who else makes this list in your opinion. You can reach us on Facebook, again, at facebook.com forward slash fuelyourfandom. You can hit us up in our Gmail, which is fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or at the backup Gmail, which is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at fuel underscore your, on Instagram at fuelyourfandom. And we're also at fuelyourfandom on Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal, in case you want to drop us a couple bucks for the kids for Fuel Your Future so we can get comics, toys, and other wonderful geek paraphernalia into the hands of underprivileged youth. We would love you for that. And, uh, well, we love you for listening anyway, but, uh, you know, any extra love you can throw our way just goes directly to those kids. Absolutely. Well, me and Jim, uh, on behalf of us, I want to thank you guys for listening again to another episode of the Fear Your Friend and Podcast. And please do remember what I remind you of every time. 
everything is fandom. And fandom is everything. Take care. What up, what up, bum? Hey, fuck off.